welcome to Future Focused, Sophisticated Estate Planning with Wigan and Dana, the show where CPAs, insurance professionals, investment brokers, trust companies, CFPs, and more can firm up on their understanding of estate planning strategies so they can better guide their clients to make wise decisions with their legacy. Future Focus is hosted by Aaron Nichols and Michael Clear, partners of the Private Client Services Department at Wigan and Dana. Subscribe to Future Focused Sophisticated Estate Planning on your favorite podcast platform and share episodes with your clients. And now, here are your hosts, Aaron and Michael. Welcome to Future Focused. I'm Michael Clear, and I'm joined with my co-host, Aaron Nichols. And today we have our partner, Helen Heinz, joining us. Yeah, welcome, Helen. We're happy to have you. We uh, are ready to learn about prenuptial agreements, and you are our resident expert. So thanks for joining us today. Okay, well, here we go. So as you guys know, a lot of the prenups we do here at Wigan and Dana are for first marriages because our clients are interested in protecting the wealth that they have built, that they are in the process of passing down to children or will in the future. So over the past 15 years or so, I'd say it's become a bigger part of our practice preparation for of prenuptial agreements for our clients' children and not just our clients' children, but we get a lot of referrals from other attorneys, matrimonial attorneys looking for client attorneys for their clients' fiancés. So that's a big part of our practice now. And from the perspective of the agreement, there are four components. There's the definition of separate property, definition of marital property, and what happens to that property in the event that a party dies during the marriage, and what, of course, might happen if they get divorced. Separate property typically will be property that each party comes into the marriage with. It will also include inherited property, whether that's property that's inherited during the marriage or prior to the marriage, and distributions from trusts. There are other components of uh, separate property that statutory, but those are the property we're typically concerned with. Marital property will typically be property that's put into joint name during the marriage, property that's earned, employment income earned during the marriage, and maybe you'll define a primary residence as marital property as well. Once a couple gets married, they have rights as a spouse, whether that's in the event of divorce or at death. So we're going to deal with those rights to that property in those two situations. So with regard to death, we're going to typically waive rights of the surviving spouse in the other parties' separate property. Because again, we're trying to typically in these types of agreement protect inherited wealth. We may, depending on the circumstances of the parties, build in some requirements that the more moneyed spouse may have in their plan to provide for the lesser moneyed spouse. The idea being that most happily married couples aren't going to want to leave their surviving spouse with nothing. And we want to try to make the agreement look reasonable. If the wealth is so different, we don't want to have a disparity during some kind of unfortunate event. We'll deal with inherited rights under state law. Law varies. 
So we'll waive those rights and refer to the statute in the particular state in which we're drafting the agreement. We also will deal with inheritance rights of uh, retirement assets, in particular 401ks and pension benefits that are governed by federal law, which is a little different because those types of qualified plans can only, rights to those plans can only be waived by a spouse. So what we're doing in those, in that aspect, we're going to waive the rights, recognize that those are rights of a spouse and have an undertaking in the agreement that once their spouses, they will sign the appropriate documentation to waive whatever rights they may have under qualified plan. The next part of the agreement, which is really what most people will focus on, because as I tell clients, death is the friendly part, not that you want to die, but you at least are still married, is divorce. Typically, we're going to waive all rights. There will be no division of separate property. Marital property will be divided, typically equally. And we will provide some kind of division of property that may become commingled. Typically, you'll have maybe the more moneyed spouse, or you could have both parties contributing separate property to a jointly owned asset, which will be marital property. And we're going to want to segregate those interests in divorce. So you may have a dollar for dollar return of that separate property contribution to something like purchase of a house, or you could do a portional give back. But typically we, on a first marriage, are going to do a dollar for dollar return of separate property. And then the value of the property above that will be divided equally. Again, there could be depending on the circumstances of the couple and if there's a really a large difference in the wealth and their kids contemplated, maybe uh, one of the spouses will stay in the home for a period of time. Maybe that will be given to, to the spouses taking care of the kids. But there's a lot of variation depending on the circumstances of the couple. We'll also deal with alimony, which is support of a former spouse. We may waive rights. We may leave it open or do something in between. Again, it's very dependent on the circumstances of the couple and how they foresee their relationship developing, whether they'll have kids, whether somebody will stay home with the kids. If the parties have similar wealth and no one's going to stay home with the kids, then most people will waive. But typically, we leave it open to be determined in the event of divorce, you know, maybe with some parameters around duration. But in most circumstances, it makes sense to leave it open, at least for one of the parties. We don't deal with child support because that is usually kids, the couple doesn't have kids and it's um, determined by the court. So that's not something we will address in the prenup. There may be, again, depending on the circumstances of the couple and disparity in wealth and how they foresee their lives to proceed, there may be a payout depending on length of the marriage and number of kids and that sort of thing. So that may be considered or, or put into the agreement. But in general, I, this is a very general overview of the agreements because, again, they aren't simple. Some clients think very simple, but it's not. It's really based on the circumstances of the parties and their relationship and where they see their life 
going and uh, what kind of wealth is involved. If it's inherited wealth, the party with that inherited wealth may never be able to touch it. So they're not going to necessarily be able to pay alimony if that's not in their pocket. If you have a business you're trying to protect, that's another issue. How do you deal with developing marital property and not leaving one party out in the cold? But how is the party that owns that business, which is very valuable, going to make a payout to the divorcing spouse? So it's very circumstantial. It can be very complicated depending on the assets. It's a great overview. So clients coming in, their child just got engaged and the wedding is X. X is your way too close date and Y is your preferred date of for how much time you have to actually draft and prepare that. What would your answer be there? Well, we could back up and talk about the requirements of a prenup first because some states do have a timing requirement. New York and Connecticut do not, but all states will require that the agreement must be signed in writing, signed and acknowledged. But with regard to other requirements for a valid prenup, there aren't many, although California, maybe Pennsylvania might have the timing requirement where there must be what they call cooling off period. So the agreement must be signed X period of times. California might be two weeks. I'm not entirely sure prior to the wedding date. But as I said, not a lot of states have that. But getting back to the requirement of prenup, it's pretty slim. You just have to sign and in front of a notary, whereas the actual agreement that you want to put forth that will be less subject to challenge should have full disclosure of assets. It really, although some states will allow waiver, it isn't a good idea. So the disclosure of the assets is very important because you are signing a contract, waiving rights. You also should be, but again, isn't necessarily required, should have each party represented by separate counsel. Again, it would be foolish to enter into an agreement where you don't. I've been asked, okay, you could just write the agreement. And I said, no, it's just, that's, it's really not worth it. You're just asking for trouble. But when the client comes in and that's the first question I ask, when's the wedding? When they say two weeks from now, pretty much going to say no. (laughs) Really six months is ideal. Clients don't love the idea of doing it at the last minute either, right before the wedding, but clients do have this kind of way of letting things take a long time when you don't have kind of that deadline looming. So six months is good. Drafting the agreement and talking to the client right off at the beginning is very easy. It's really what happens when that agreement goes to the other side. I can't guarantee what the two other people, the attorney and the fiance, are going to say or how they're going to react. And that back and forth could take a lot of time, depending on, again, the circumstances of the parties, the assets, even the other attorney's time. I mean, if they're a matrimonial attorney and have a lot of trial dates, then that's a problem. So, and the clients, whatever they may do in life. But yeah, six months is ideal. Recently, clients have come in with a year to go, and it's kind of too much time because you don't really have focus. Even in states where there's no statutory timing requirement, 
does it make the agreement more susceptible to challenge if it's signed immediately before the wedding? No, it would if the agreement is drafted and prepared all in the one week before. I think there's a better argument. But typically agreements that are, you know, the process starts six months before they will get signed a week before the wedding. And just because the deadline's looming, people get working on it. But it doesn't mean it hasn't been negotiated all along. But yeah, that's why a week or two isn't good. I really like inside three months. I have had attorneys ask me to represent you know, their their client's fiance kind of at the 11th hour. And depending on who the attorney is and what I know about them, then I, I may do it because usually I'll have a sense of what their agreement looks like. I'll be informed by the other attorney or what the issues are. And so I have a sense of we could get this done. It's not going to be a problematic, heavily negotiated type of agreement. So if the agreement doesn't get signed. The wedding goes forward. What's your take on postnuptial agreements? They have the same validity. You have a fiduciary relationship with your spouse, but and then this has happened a few times where you where we can't get it done before the wedding. There's some reason why it's just not happening, and it, we flip it into a postnup. But other than some language in there, it's kind of the same. You have two separate attorneys. You've got disclosure. You just don't have the deadline that usually keeps it on track. Mm -hmm. But when I've had that happen, both sides are typically motivated to do that. Often we talk to our clients about communicating about wealth with their children. And I always think it's great to encourage the conversation relating to prenups before there's a significant other in the picture. So it doesn't seem like you're picking on somebody. Uh, but do you have any advice for parents in how they should act or behave or things that they should understand as their child goes through the prenup process? Well, usually the parent's idea. <laughs> so I talk to the parent first because they want to talk to me first. Okay, that's fine. And usually they have conveyed the desire to their child first. There hasn't ever really been an odd situation other than if the parent wants a prenup, they have to be a little more forthcoming with their asset information, or not enough to tell them everything, but the rationale behind the prenup is to protect inherited wealth. And by the way, you're getting some inherited wealth. So I think you have to be willing as the parent to divulge a certain bit of information if you want the prenup, the child to enter the prenup. And then the issue becomes, well, how is the child's fiance going to feel? Which and I've had some parents really concerned about that. But in general, it's pretty common that the fiancé typically isn't surprised. They must hear in their own circles this generation of it's fairly common. So it really, I can't even think of one situation where it presented a problem. One thing I'm curious about, especially with the growing prominence of these agreements, is a situation in which there isn't a lot of anticipated wealth, but you have a young professional couple, not a large net worth yet, but a high earning potential. Are you still encouraging those types of people to get prenuptial agreements? Or do you think it really sort of has a threshold wealth? 
the clients I see who are professionals, yeah, it's not inherited wealth, that come in and are interested in prenups, it's really, they will obviously say, okay, what I come in is separate. Typically, they will say whatever they earn after the marriage will be marital. But the big thing I think they're really thinking about is alimony. And so that's really more the focus to limit that kind of exposure to a former spouse. So you would say that anyone who's interested in a, a prenup, you could probably Yeah. I mean, the motivation's important because I have had one that went down in flames. And why? Because I don't know why they were getting a prenup. It made no sense. They were earning a lot. They Yeah, there was something else going on, which clearly bore out when... <laughs> That's not the prenup that went down the flames. Yeah, the, no, exactly. The wedding did not happen yeah, yes, in that situation. Exactly. <laughs> and as the other attorney said, well, maybe we prevented a divorce. Yeah, no success fee there, I guess. <laughs> no. Yeah, so, yeah, but some, and like a lot of second marriages, that's what they're trying to do is they want to limit the damage done from maybe the experience they had in the first divorce. But they have children from prior relationships they're trying to leave their assets to. They, they do want to minimize some kind of financial exposure in the second or third marriage. So it's a little bit different, but it is an awareness of trying to limit that, that exposure. Just talk really quickly, and it might be pretty easy. A big piece of this is really just full disclosure. So there's a, a massive, I would imagine, for some clients information gathering component, oh, yeah. which takes some time. But effectively, you're saying this is what we have. So you can then agree upon how it's going to be divided later. Yeah, it wouldn't necessarily be divided, but what that more moneyed spouse. So like recently, I've had some young guys in their 30s with really successful businesses that they built. So they want to try and be fair. So usually there's going there won't be a division because that's what he built. And then there's going to be maybe a graduated payout based on uh, duration of the marriage to the would-be ex-wife at that point. So as to protect those assets, it's, you know, and again, you're like making it up. It's like the crystal ball, like, okay. Is this going to work? <laughs> right. And then sometimes you alluded to this earlier, but I imagine it comes up frequently. You, you hear from the, your client and they say, look, we've already agreed on everything. We just want this to be very simple. What do you communicate to them when you hear that? Well, we'll see what the other attorney says, because really that's it's all well and good when you talk among yourselves until an attorney says, well, but if you didn't agree to that, you could potentially receive something else, right? So that's really what the issue is. They don't really have an appreciation of what the concerns are. Don't necessarily know what they're giving up, what they were right. supposed, what they would get under the law, what right. they might be giving up or other options for what they're receiving. Well, right. And I tell the male client, I said, well, is your fiance going to stay home with the kids? Well, probably. Okay. Well, I say, if I'm representing her, I wouldn't be waiving alimony, most likely. Depends on the perspective of the client you're representing, what they're going to be concerned about. I think that was a great 
overview. We're uh, lucky to have Helen with us today. Lucky to have her in our department since clearly we're doing a lot of wealth planning with our clients and being able to refer them to you to talk about marital planning is incredibly valuable to us. So hopefully this was helpful to all of you today. And we'll look forward to joining you again for our next episode. Great. Thanks, Helen. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Future Focused, Sophisticated Estate Planning, hosted by Aaron Nichols and Michael Clear, partners of the Private Client Services Department at Wigan and Dana. At Wigan and Dana, our aim is preserving the wealth that a family has worked so hard to create and pride ourselves in offering value-driven solutions and results. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, share episodes with your clients, and follow our highly talented, creative, and experienced lawyers on LinkedIn for even more great insight. We'll see you next time on Future Focused, Sophisticated Estate Planning.